This is Talking Points, Ken's politics podcast. Hello and welcome to Talking Points, Kent's politics podcast. I'm your co-host Oliver Kemp and with me is Paul Francis, who obviously is the more important person out of yeah, the two of us. Yeah, you are the co-host. The co-host no, you are the, the co-host. co-host. I'm not a co-host. Well. So in that sense, you're superior to me. Well, I would never, I would never say that, Paul. That's not true at all. Um, Hello, so, anyway. Yes, well, welcome everyone to the show. Um, as you said on your show, Paul and Politics, on Friday, Paul, there are not really any marks for guessing what is the top of the agenda today. Today we're going to have to be talking Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. We are, for, you know, for very obvious reasons. For very obvious reasons. Um, we have uh, left the EU. We have, and anyone tuning into the uh, news on Friday night would have seen burning leaflets and uh, speeches from both sides of the, uh, the argument. But it's done and dusted. We're out. Yeah, um, and that's what I think. Uh, Joe Koshin, who's one of the journalists at Came TV, astutely put in his in his piece on Friday, uh, one thousand three hundred seventeen days after voting. Yeah, so just, did, a, just a few days. Just a few. He's he's done the maths. Good work. Um, and what you know, a pretty historic moment, which many people on both sides of the Brexit coin never thought would necessarily happen. I think that's true, but I think you know, uh, although it's taken three and a half years to get there, I think in the last year or so. Most people have kind of recognised that that the chances of it happening were greater than the chances of it not happening. Mm. So that's uh, so that's it, you know. Uh, and uh, now the now the hard graft starts in some ways. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Because we we we've left the EU, and there were celebrations in in Trafalgar Square on Friday night. Um, and, historic moment and lamentations as well. And, and lamentations, yeah. of course. There was obviously a contingent of people who didn't want Brexit to happen. The, the remain, the people who voted for for Remain, who who were brandishing EU flags yes. throughout the evening too. And I, th- I think most newscasters did a pretty good job of speaking to both sides of that throughout the evening, getting a taste of what it what it was like up there. Um, but but we've left the EU, but. Have we left the EU? This is the funny thing, isn't it? Because Ooh, we, we've, that's, we've a, got that's a deep philosophical question, isn't there. it? Just I am the the, is the this like, you philosopher. know, if, if you hear a if a, a tree falls down in a forest, do you, does it fall down if you don't hear it? Fall sort down? of, but a less interesting philosophical yes, question, right, yeah. I feel. Well, the answer to that is we are out, uh, but what uh, terms of that departure are going to be is what is now going to be thrashed out over the next. Uh, 10 or 11 months, so the, the British government and the EU is going to start. And all these tricky negotiations around issues to do with uh, trade agreements, uh, f- free movements of workers, and you know, a whole host of other issues. So that's why it is, uh, you know, it's a sensible question, are we out? Yes, we are, but the finality and the specifics still need to be agreed. We've always known that there was going to be this transition phase and this transition phase was going to be where the arguments were going to be marshalled on both sides. The question, I think, is can the UK government reach a deal with the EU, uh, at least in broad terms, by the kind of self-imposed deadline of uh, January next year? And I think that is the issue that concerns some people. I mean, realistically, there's so we we the, we have this eleven months to sort a free trade deal to begin on the first of January twenty twenty one. We've already Boris Johnson is already starting to make inroads and will over the next few weeks start setting out what his targets will be in a post 
Brexit trade deal and how we're going to work alongside the EU and how, how that might operate, how quickly is it going to be that we're actually going to get some answers for for small businesses, for the state of, of immigration and all these kind of things? Like, how long do you think that's going to take us? Uh, well, that's, that's the kind of how long is a piece of string question. Another uh, philosophical, another philosophical bit of meat there. Yes. Um, no one really knows, you know. Uh, so Boris Johnson has obviously set out his timetable, his time frame for it. Uh, certain EU uh, officials have cast some doubt on the uh, uh, feasibility of reaching that uh, target or the time frame. Uh, and I know we touched on this before, but you know, I think the uh, there is a possibility that we'll negotiate some kind of broad agreement and say, well, we've done the the hard the bulk of it. These this is the kind of general terms of the agreement, and uh, we've got some outstanding issues that we'll thrash out. Uh, over the next you know few months post January 2021 mm. and just to step things back slightly so you actually went down to Brussels I did yes two days before we we left the EU yes um what was the atmosphere like down there well I I was kind of surprised because uh I'd expect it I knew there was going to be a lot of interest there and the, the thing you did notice is that there were pro- probably more people with uh, cameras and microphones, and there were uh, other people in the whole whole building. I thought you were going to uh, say actual people. Actual, well, yes, real people, well, not journalists. Um, and I was uh, quite taken by the kind of real feelings of kind of high emotion that were kind of uh, on show from you know both sides of the of the argument. Certainly amongst the kind of uh, remain groups, uh, and I think it was. Uh, it was one of those occasions where you got a sense of politicians being human for once, uh, you know, genuinely uh, upset for some of them about the fact that uh, their kind of, you know, their, their careers in effect were coming to an end uh, and real uh, kind of emotional kind of feeling, real emotions about, you know, what could be the, the prospects for the whole EU uh, if things don't go according to plan, you know, some people speculating that, you know, other countries might follow suit uh, if the terms of an agreement are, you know, uh, deemed to be kind of ones which could work in other other countries. But, yeah, it was an interesting day and uh, I was quite taken aback by the, uh, the kind of the feelings on the show. Of course, you know, you had Nigel Farage uh, being to- not totally unemotional, but, uh, you know, Resorting to his usual kind of pantomime villain shtick. Very animated, wasn't he? Yeah. Brandishing uh, the, the Union Jack flags. Yes, which he's done before. He did his, did the same thing in Strasbourg about a few weeks ago when it was the last session of the Strasbourg Parliament. Um, so you could almost see it coming. But uh, he was he's like one of these uh, uh, school children challenging the, the teacher's authority. He, he It was almost as <laughs> if he wanted to get expelled. Yeah, uh, he got a bit of a telling off, didn't yes, he? Because you, you're not supposed to bring flags into the... Uh, into the, into the chamber where they all meet. He did, obviously, and uh, had a kind of prearranged uh, speech about uh, about what was going to happen. And he said, we were waving goodbye, and they all tromped, uh, stormed out of the... Uh, not stormed out, it's probably a bit heavy, but they all walked out, all these uh, Brexit Party MPs walked out on, on block. Uh, and that was the kind of thing that he, he wanted, really. He, mm. he set that up to do. But, uh, you know, he was obviously... Uh, the man of the moment in terms of, you know, the architect of Brexit. So uh, there's a lot of attention focused on him. 
It does seem to be um, now. Now we've actually got to the point, and the, the the few days, the day you were there, and leading up to the to the final day before we left, there it was a feeling of sentiment in the air for both sides a lot, wasn't yeah. there? We had the fact that the, um, the the Brussels buildings were lit up with the, the Union Jack flag, and it very much felt like a you know we're we're still going to be working with you. Yeah, there was an interesting point there. I thought there was there was a great deal of goodwill amongst the EU uh, and the top officials towards the United Kingdom uh, and it wasn't uh, it was kind of the, the debate that took place was not kind of acrimonious or rancorous debate it was kind of you know uh, we're go- we're going to miss you we're sorry that you're leaving uh, and I think there there is a, a kind of residual kind of uh, sense of goodwill which might help at least in the early stages of the, the negotiations. Because could that be a, a genuine fear that if we are able to negotiate a good trade deal, a good trade agreement um, like Canada, which we will return to a bit later in the podcast, yeah. um, is there a fear that other countries within the EU will think, well, if the UK can do it and we've seen other countries do it before, then why would we want to be part of the EU and have these stringent rules on us, which would which could then be the undoing of the EU as an idea in the first place? Well, it's always a possibility, isn't it? I think the... the the difference is that the UK is coming at it from a relatively kind of um, uh, strong position on the economy, uh, which other, particularly new member states who have joined the, the EU fold in recent years, have not necessarily come in with that kind of strong economic background. So I think it might be difficult for some of these smaller uh, EU member states to, to to leave if they wanted, you know, if they chose to. Just because there's, there's, there's not trapped, as it were, but they they benefit hugely from being members of the European Union in terms of grant funding and so forth. So um, it's a possibility, but I don't honestly see it happening, at least in the early period. And of course, alongside these negotiations with the EU, we're going to have negotiations with other countries outside of the European Union to hopefully form a trade agreement. And I think one of those which has been the the most talked about is a potential trade agreement with the US. And that's going to probably be one of Boris Johnson's focuses going into the next six months is trying to forge some kind of trade agreement with the US. And and that's been a bit of a point of contention even over the last week. Yeah, I mean, I think the odd thing, the thing there is that the EU is, is probably wanting to sort of hold far until it establishes or the UK government establishes what are they going to what kind of agreement might it reach uh, with with America and I think there's a sense in which the EU wants to kind of hold back a little bit until they know the terms of that thing so I mean there are two things running in parallel almost um, and I think it's is that's where there may be some kind of uh, difficulties in coming to agreement. Realistically you're not going to be able to wait for any time, are you? Because we're going to need to start getting these trade conversations underway. I mean, they're going to start officially in February, like or likely anyway, as, as the timeline looks at the moment. It's it's not as if the the UK are probably going to forge a trade agreement with the US in the next three weeks. No, that's quite true. And I think you know there are other issues which are going to perhaps be of more relevance to you know Kent in some senses, particularly around kind of border checks, the customs arrangements. You know, our hauliers going to have to produce a whole new load of papers every time they cross uh, to the continent and cross back towards Kent. Uh, so I think there are, you know, in amongst the the obvious interest uh, and need to sort out trade agreements, 
we mustn't lose sight of the fact that there are other issues which are of equal concern for for a lot of people in Kent. Mm. And, and I think some some of the things that are headline grabbing don't always necessarily affect our county as much as other places. I think one of them being the common fisheries policy, which will and could affect the markets obviously across the country. But but as as a county, we don't have as strong a fishing community as as other places that rely on it quite heavily, yeah, do the, we? The fleets that are left are quite small, so you know they're, impo- they're you know they're important, but they are quite small as you as you say. But then that, of course, it could still have knock-on effects. If- yeah, I mean, I think the whole fisheries thing is an example of where there's going to be real difficulty because, you know, in the transition period of the next year, um, f- fishermen uh, are going to have to sit on the sidelines. And during that year, there may be new arrangements made over quotas, discards and so forth. And we will be watching from the sidelines, unable to kind of influence those those possible changes now it's you know entirely possible that after 2021 january the uk will do something to protect uh, the fishing fleets but as things stand they they can't do a thing uh, until that time and uh, this is an interesting point that we discussed up in the newsroom earlier um the now former kent mep anthony hook referred to this whole situation as a blind brexit now because we're not inside brussels knowing what negotiations are happening so in theory if the EU were to decide something, a massive change to the common fisheries policy, which affects us before we've negotiated a deal, uh, we're not going to have any say or even know about those those trade talks. Yeah, he's calling this nice kind of uh, catchphrase, blind, a blind Brexit. And he's got a point, you know, uh, and it applies to all the negotiations on all of the issues. There is no one uh, sort of semi-autonomously or semi-independently going to be scrutinising these uh deals and, and new arrangements as they come forward. Uh, so that's a, it's a kind of neat way of uh, ca- capturing the kind of position that the country's in. Talking Points, Kent's politics podcast. So we need to talk a little bit about Kent County Council. Um, oh, yes. Interesting story. Um, basically, county council chiefs insisting that leaving the EU will not affect its determination to continue forging links with other EU countries. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds on the surface not very... Uh, illuminating or particularly interesting, you know. Way, way to sell it, Paul. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I say it, it seems like that. Like, but, oh, okay. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. But yeah, I thought the timing of the, they put out a fairly lengthy statement on uh, on Friday, I think it was, uh, where they uh, said that they would continue to forge relationships with EU member states, uh, build on existing relationships uh, with those particularly close to the. Um, the, uh, the channel uh, and what was interesting for me about that was that it was sounding a very kind of positive note about um, the idea that we could continue uh, with some of these kind of partnerships which uh, which attract or have attracted in the past quite a bit of EU funding and I think there was a, a kind of a message underlying this was that you know Kent would continue to try and uh, work alongside EU member states on various issues, particularly the environment and transport, and in so doing, putting down a marker, if you like, that that they would not be sort of turning their nose up uh, at these kind of uh, partnerships that have been in place for quite some time in some cases, and uh, sort of came across as being quite pro-European. And I think, you know, there's... 
the practicalities of this revolve around a kind of sense that if uh, if we cut cut off uh, ties completely, then we then Kent stands to lose uh, some of the money which it's had uh, from the EU in previous years. And I think there's a, a, another issue here which we we, we spoke about was that um, the government has got constituencies in the north of England now where it needs to protect its political interests uh, and one way of protecting its political interests might be in the form of securing cash under this replacement scheme called the Shared Prosperity Fund. This is the UK's version of EU EU grant funding uh, and a feeling I think maybe that Kent doesn't want to uh, get overlooked in whatever new arrangements are put in place uh, by next January. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Kent MPs, um, councils aren't going to want to feel like they're left in the dark at any point, um, especially as, as as a county. We've, we've talked about this on numerous occasions on this podcast that, uh, and I don't necessarily love the phrase, but the front line of Brexit, yeah. you know, issues such as immigration. And, <laughs> you don't like the word front line. No, I don't like the word front I'll be honest, the word front line is not my favourite. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know there there probably is a fear there that we don't want to be left out and forgotten. Um, yeah. and as I say, I mean it's dri- it's driven I think by uh, what I understand to be a concern at County Hall that uh, uh, they need to uh, kind of cement their kind of existing partnerships with other member states, uh, which have benefited Kent quite considerably in terms of funding via interreg programs, for example, uh, and just want to sort of as they say put down a kind of a signal to the government that uh, when it comes to this new uh, shared prosperity fund as it's going to be called that Kent gets some of the prosperity on available it is um an interesting a way of putting across the the idea we're going to be working together with EU countries because it's not it's not as if the 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 central government Boris Johnson's party is saying that we're not going to work with European countries. The whole idea here is to come up with a deal, um, but, but the word independence comes up all the time, and 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 this is a different tact, isn't it? This is a very much a no. We want to work with, yes, people in the EU nations. Uh, I mean, you often hear about these kind of partnerships, and they don't amount to much more than kind of a, a concordat or kind of statement of intent. But to be fair to Kent, it has you know secured tens of millions of pounds for support for investment in kind of economic regeneration schemes you know around kind of the areas of Dover post the collapse of the mining industry and along the kind of coastal strip where there there have been kind of quite significant funds made available to try and sort of boost the economic regeneration of you know socially deprived uh, towns. Mm. Well there's only one thing left for us to do on this podcast as we always do it's jargon word of the week and we're sort of returning to something we talked about earlier on um, Paul, what is Canada plus plus plus? I, I now feel like I'm the uh, the, the pupil more wa- walking <laughs> walking to an exam room and his mind goes blank. Uh, well, you know, this is uh, something which the uh, supporters of Brexit have advanced in terms of you know uh, saying that you know we can reach an agreement even if we're outside. The European Union, we can reach an agreement on uh, different aspects of trade, uh, and depending on the kind of uh, the the kind of opportunities and limitations on those trade agreements, they're kind of defined as something plus plus, and in most cases you'll have heard of the phrase Canada 
plus plus or Norway plus plus. And basically, I'm putting it very simply. Please. If I can. How long is this podcast going for? <laughs> Depends how long yeah. we take. Um, it's to do with uh, the removal of tariffs on goods, uh, which, are, which we might export into the European Union. Uh, and uh, it enables us, or would enable the UK, to continue those exports without severe financial penalties. Uh, and the Canada Plus deal and the Canada Plus Plus deal is uh, an agreement which is often cited uh, by uh, Brexiteers as, you know, indicating that you can have a trade agreement which is, you know, works to the advantage of businesses both sides. Now, the only thing about Canada Plus and the Canada deal that was struck uh, by the EU with Canada was it took, I think, around about seven years to come to a seven years, conclusion. Yeah. And Boris Johnson has set a timetable of a year to get some agreement around some of these areas. So uh, I don't, although the principles are fairly straightforward, the actual uh, terms of any kind of agreement might be very complex. A lot of hard work for those negotiators coming up over the next 11 months. Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Talking Points. We'll obviously be here every week to discuss the the changing face of the political landscape and how it affects Kent. Yeah, I've been Oliver... Brexit will be back. Brexit will be back, of course. I've been Oliver Kemp. This is Paul Francis. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Talking Points, Kent's politics podcast. 